0: Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome in to the big show here. World Soccer Talk's Soccer Morning. Live on a Thursday, the day after a U.S. men's national team game, which I expect means we'll be rambling a bit today. A 3-2 loss for the United States against Denmark in Aarhus. Aarhus. Yesterday, three goals from Nicholas Bentner, which I think is the the biggest shame of the whole thing. Right, the fact that Nicholas Bentner scored a hat trick on you. I think that means you have to quit soccer forever and uh, and are doomed to wander the wilderness. I think that's what that means. We'll have to check on the rules in the FIFA bylaws, but I'm pretty sure the United States does not feel too good about that loss yesterday, especially holding a lead with what 10 15 minutes to go in that match. We'll get into all of that, certainly cover that, break it down with Matt Doyle, Matthew Doyle from MLSsoccer.com, the armchair analyst, get a name that's not a tongue twister, Matthew. Also on this show, Brian Korstad again from up in Minnesota after the big day as Minnesota, Minneapolis, St. Paul was announced as the next expansion city for MLS. There is some contingency there, and we'll break that down with Brian. There has to be a stadium deal done in the next couple of months, and everything has to kind of start—the ball has to start rolling pretty significantly from here. Uh, We'll talk to Brian about how likely it is that all those pieces come into place pretty quickly in Minnesota. I, I don't really have any doubts, but then again, I'm not there. I'm not on the ground. I don't see how the political situation might impact this. So that's, uh, two great guests for you on a Thursday. We'll take your phone calls and your tweets after that. Of, of course, make sure you're following at soccer morning on Twitter. Go ahead and write the phone number down now, 347-756-6276, just to be prepared. It's good to be prepared. Be, don't be like Gurion Klinsman. Be prepared. I'm sorry. That's a cheap shot. Maybe he was prepared and the United States just couldn't get the deal done. It's first in the headlines today. Of course, is that U.S. lost in Denmark? The United States cannot finish a game. That has been a trend under Jurgen Klinsmann. I had the stat in front of me. I don't have it right now, but I think it's something like 13 in the last uh, 13 of the last 14 games. The United States has given up a goal after the 75th minute once or twice or three times. It's something that you can sort of say, okay, well, that happens that many times. This is not a, this is not just an outlier anymore. We're talking about something specific now. It's a friendly. Let's throw that out there. It's a friendly. How am, how upset can you get about a friendly? I'm not going to sit here and call for Jurgen Klinsmann's head today, figuratively speaking. I'm not going to call for him to be fired. That's not where we're at. We got the Gold Cup coming up in uh, in the summer. And yes, all of the friendlies that have piled up here with these poor performances are still friendlies. And yet you just, you're just looking for signs of life. The, the other stat bouncing around yesterday, and again, I should have this cited for, uh, for right now. I should have this written down somewhere. But something like in the first half, the, the United States had 43% possession, which was the lowest number since something, 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 whatever. Doesn't sound good. It's not, it's not that Jürgen Klinsmann deserves to be fired right now. So we want to see some progression here. And something I also took out of this match yesterday, and the Twitter response to it, which, of course, Twitter is a, a vast wasteland of snark and anger and upset during a men's national team game where they're not doing that well or they don't win. They certainly weren't playing well, despite a very nice goal from Josie Altador. Okay, long ball, took it down, scored well. Great ball from, Brad, from Michael Bradley to Altador, which then he left off for Aaron Johansson. Probably because that first touch was a little big, but very nice goals. But then you concede three. You don't keep the ball very well. You end up with a lot of long ball tactics, which again is the antithesis of what Jurgen Klinsman has been preaching. Again, I, I read Matthew Doyle's column last night in the aftermath of this game. We'll break down all of that stuff with him. Should be a fascinating discussion. It's just you wonder when does Jurgen Klinsman. Start to be responsible for the fact the United States isn't doing what they used to do, which is at least be competitive on the possession side. Was at least show some fight. My uh Bob Bradley got fired because hey, he couldn't start well for a while, and then things started going poorly. He tried to change some tactics; it didn't work. I'm not saying he's a better coach. I'm not saying go back to Bob Bradley. Saying that as you head into the uh, into the spring here, and then subsequently the summer. There are some reasons to be worried. Also, international, in international friendlies yesterday, Germany tied Australia 2-2. Very good result for the Aussies. Apparently played very well. Uh, Lucas Podolski with the game equalizer for the Germans to sort of save face in that game. And in a game that was not a friendly, Honduras and French Guiana. Now, this, the winner of this, of this tie, of this series, goes into the Gold Cup group of the United States and after the first leg Honduras is down 3 to 1 to French Guiana shocking result i don't have any other information other than wow what a scoreline we'll see if uh the contraclos can uh, turn it around back at home uh mentioned the uh the press conference there in Minnesota yesterday to announce Minneapolis St Paul as an expansion city for MLS. We'll talk to Brian Corstad about everything around that. The Dark Clouds represented well. I watched, I was able to watch the feed uh, provided by MLSsoccer.com. I came away extremely impressed, not just by the support there from the Dark Clouds and other uh, gathered fans, but by Bill McGuire. Extremely impressive guy. Seemed very humbled by it. Seemed to care very much about this project and about his city. In fact, it, at various times, it looked like he was tearing up a bit. This is that big of a deal for him, that big of a deal for Minneapolis and St. Paul, and that big a deal for the fans there. And he certainly seems like a fan. So we have uh, every reason to believe that this will be a success in Minnesota. Uh, and again, it, it depended on getting the stadium deal finalized, and they aren't quite there yet. So more than anything, what this press conference was meant to do was, hey, we want to come here. If everything happens the way it's supposed to, we will come here. Uh, another sort of push in the right direction by by MLS. They're they show, they show by a show of force, giving the community and the and the politicians involved reason to get this done. Interesting story out of Boston. I had a, a link shared with me yesterday by someone I can't remember who it was, but it seems that the Crafts are actually making some something of a push to get a stadium deal done in Boston, in South Boston. Now, this is tied to the Olympics uh, bid for 2024. Uh, The Crafts are pushing to get a smaller soccer venue included in an area that would also include, that would also be uh, where a a bigger Olympic venue would be. With timing a concern, the Craft family has advanced negotiation with key stakeholders to build a soccer stadium in South Boston's, is it Widdett? I don't know. Trevor, you can tell me about that. I'm not familiar with that little area. Discussions, which were confirmed by multiple sources who request not to be identified, could complicate the ambitious planning underway to potentially build facilities and related infrastructure for the 2024 Summer Olympics. Now, again, Boston doesn't have that bid yet. It won't be decided until 2017, but they are the U.S. pick to host the Olympics in 2024, and it seems the Crafts are making something of a push uh, to get a stadium included for their soccer club. Also, out of New York, interesting stuff from Jason Christ, who says he's not quite sure about adding Javi in the summer to his NYCFC roster. Something about fit, position, formation. I don't know, man. You got a chance to add Javi. You, you probably should add Javi. Obviously, David Villa would love it. It's, uh, it seems like a no brainer to me. Don't go anywhere. When we come back, Matthew Doyle, the armchair analyst from MLSsoccer.com, will break down USA Denmark with us. Soccer morning. Brought to you by WorldSoccerTalk.com. The best way to watch the greatest players in the world, including Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Zlatan, and Pogba, is on Dish World's exclusive broadcast of BN Sports. Dish World is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dish World. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Dish World. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com.
0: welcome back to soccer morning on world soccer talk
1: with jason davis all right time to break down that usa loss to denmark yesterday in aarhus with matthew doyle the armchair analyst from mls com. he's up early he's got some coffee in oh matthew how are you sir
2: i'm hanging on by a thread at this point but uh the day is just beginning, so uh <laughs> another half cup of coffee and I'll be all right.
1: All right. So uh you know you you were uh you filed your, your column last night or yesterday in, in the aftermath of this loss. Uh, the United States at one point had a lead that, that maybe we thought they could hold, although the pattern's been that they don't. But more than that, Matt, I think what we're what we're focused on and what fans are upset about is is the way that the US is playing more than anything else.
2: Yeah, it, it's been inconsistent and directionless, uh if you if you compare the words that Klinsman says to um, to the way the team is actually playing. Uh it, it seems kind of haphazard. But then I think if you really look at what he's done over the last two plus years, I would say, this is actually what he's been building for. He's building for a completely reactive uh, kind of a bunkering team. It's how we played at the World Cup. Uh, it's definitely how we played against Colombia, uh, even Honduras a little bit, uh, in these post-World Cup friendlies. Uh, and if you look at the players he calls in, he, he generally tends to favor, uh, either big athletes or big effort guys over the skillful guys. Um, and, and so this is, to me, I think yesterday was definitely the plan for Klinsman. I, I think, I think he wants to build a team that can run all day, uh, can bunker and can, can sort of just, uh, just counter punch. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the idea of proactive possession soccer is a, is a faint, faint memory at this point. Well,
1: but that's not the message that we got, certainly in the beginning, and it's been, it's been a little wishy washy because that's what he's, he's, that's how he's been, but it, it still seems like that has always been the promise. If that's not the direction he's going, then what, what, <laughs> why are we, why did they, why are they paying Jurgen Klinsmann millions of dollars to do something that Bob Bradley and Bruce Arena could do? Uh, well, I
2: mean, that's the, that's the question. That's <laughs> the, the $2 million question. Um, I, I think, uh, for, for as many criticisms as I have about Bruce Arena, the, co- or, uh excuse me, Jurgen Klinsman, the coach, Jurgen Klinsman, the promoter, uh, has been worth every penny for U.S. soccer. Uh, in, in terms of making the game bigger here, there's no question he's been successful at that. Uh, the, the questions about success as, uh, around having the game better. And I would say, no, I would say we're a distinctly worse uh, U.S. national team and U.S. national team program than we have been since the mid-'90s. Um, but, you know, you, you, sometimes you pay for the sizzle and sometimes you pay for the steak, and and Jurgen is delivering the sizzle. Uh, okay. and, and I think that's what a lot of folks at at, at the top want.
1: Well, I mean, obviously, it's tough to get all of that in one package, Matt, but for the time being, for those of <laughs> us who want the team to succeed as well as for Klinsman to go out and promote and, and show up on television and get the controversy flowing, which I'm all for. I mean, it's my job here to talk about this stuff. I, I still want them to win games. I still want to, Even if they don't win games, going to Denmark, fine. Maybe you don't expect to win. It's Europe. It's, it's tough to win there, but play better and and show me something and that's not that hasn't come and and there's a I guess for me is right. watch, watching the discussion happen live on Twitter uh, Matthew and I know that Matt I know that that's not indicative of the entire fan base but there's a lot of people either either calling for Klinsman to be fired or very upset either one or rationalizing this through oh well the United the United States doesn't have the talent necessary to go and really challenge so this is to be expected, or let's not let's not jump down Klinsman's throat. Which one? Is, which one's right?
2: Uh, I don't think either of those are right. <laughs> uh, the, the first one, calling calling for him to be fired, uh, is wrong. Before the Gold Cup, he he deserves to to coach through the end of the Gold Cup and be reassessed, just like Bob Bradley deserved it in 2011. And for for what it's worth, I thought letting Bob go. Uh, back then was the right the right decision um and, and the ones rationalizing it saying we don 't have the talent to play any other way uh are i i mean they they're they 're foolish they 're very very foolish people um they they haven 't I, I don't I, I would question their ability to watch any game and and correctly assess what 's going on and the relative talent levels two teams uh, and they certainly don 't know their u s soccer history uh yeah. What Klinsman has going for him and what, uh, what the people who sort of run defense for Klinsman has, have going for him is he, among new fans, uh, and among, uh, certain members of the old fan base and among people who learned the game, uh, by playing FIFA, uh, by playing video games, Klinsman has more credibility than uh, than U.S. soccer has. So he can say, oh, you know, we go out there and the players play scared. And I can't help that. I'm trying to institute a men- new mentality. Now, you and I and people who have watched the U.S. national team for 25 years know that playing scared is something that has never been associated with the U.S. But Klinsman says it, and Klinsman has a world cup winner's medal and he has a European cup winner's medal and and that carries weight with a certain large uneducated portion of the fan base so he just he has leeway he has he has this screen uh preventing him from being held accountable for purely results or purely aesthetics uh and he's using it for every inch it's i mean it's masterful he is a He's an incredible promoter.
1: The only way I can sort of rationalize what's happening at the moment, and yes, he's this is not his full team exactly, and and you know we don't know what it, what he's going to do at the gold cup, and I, I'm certainly not one one of those people calling for him to be fired. He he's got to get to the gold cup. He's got to go through the gold oh. cup. But the only way I can rationalize this is sort of in the in the way that uh, you know army recruits are are broken down before they're built back up, and and. That's the only way I can possibly think he's he's thinking is, is is there anything possibly there that that his his notion is that he's got to break this down into its constituent parts and then start to build it back up. And, you know, let's let's be fair to the man. There is the element of, of you know, going th- down the program and, and changing a culture from the youth uh, levels on up.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if I really want to give him too much credit for that. Okay. Because if you look at the changes he's talked about at the youth level, it's stuff Bruce Arena was talking about in 2004, 2005. And it's stuff that really started, the wheel started turning on it in U.S. soccer around 2007 or so. And I mean, Bob Bradley talked about it as much as well. Um, The U.S. program at all levels, I'm talking U-17 is all the way up to the national team, has not won a knockout round game in a global tournament since the 2009 Confederations Cup. Mm. Uh so if yeah if you want to give Jurgen Klinsmann credit for something uh you, you need to I I am saying the general you I'm not putting this on you <laughs> I'm saying the general the populace needs to understand the lack of accomplishment uh that we've seen at all levels o- over the last uh, the last four years. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and I would not, I'm not hung up on the results of the friendlies because they are just friendlies. And we know there's a post world cup letdown. We saw what happened with Bob Bradley's team ahead of the 2011 gold cup. Uh, and I wasn't calling for Bob to be fired then, uh, but Bob wasn't quite able to fix it. The concern about the results is that they're coming in the same way every time. And they happened in the same way last summer at the World Cup. So when the results, uh, when the process from the friendlies matches the process that you saw in the games that mattered the most out of everything, uh, that's when you get concerned and you say, okay, we can't give Clemson credit for too much here because he's not fixing what's broken.
1: Let me let me turn directly to yesterday, just because there are a couple of things, tactically speaking, that were of interest and that you wrote about. One of them was the pairing of Michael Bradley and Alejandro Bedoya. I think uh, it was surprised a lot of people to see Bedoya there in the middle map. But uh, in terms of how it actually functioned, what did you make of it?
2: I thought Bedoya was asked to play as the six. You know, it's not a Jurgen Klinsmann lineup without at least one guy playing out of <laughs> position. And I thought, to Bedoya's credit, he. I mean. He's a smart player. He's a very, very smart player. In the U.S., uh, we're in no position to to bench smart players. So I I thought, to his credit, he did a a pretty good job of it. I'd even say a very good job of it through the first 40 minutes. I thought he was the reason. If you look back at that game, because we all remember how it ended, the last 15 minutes, and that's going to give us recency bias. But if you look at the first 35, our pressure – Gave Denmark a case of the yits they they were not able to play out of the back uh, and they didn't i don't think they completed a pass in that zone fourteen that area right outside our goal uh for the first half hour or so uh, and I think a lot of that goes down to Bedoya doing a good job uh of holding his position and allowing Bradley to be that sort of one man kamikaze high press that he's so good at. Uh, so I thought that was good. But again, he, he's being played out of position. Uh, Morales comes in in the second half and he had a few gaffes right at the start, but then the last 40 minutes, I, I thought he was very, very good. Um so, I think one of the things your could do better is, is just play guys where it's H.L. how to play. Mm. And then the funniest example from yesterday is Breck Shea. Breck Shea has been a left winger his entire life uh, until you know, six months ago, Jurgen decided to start using him at left back. Now Breck starts playing left back for his club <laughs> team. Where does Jurgen play him yesterday? Left wing. I mean, that's Jason. That's pathological. It's it absolutely amazing. I,
1: I, it's almost like he's sticking it to yeah. us. Every time he does this, it's just what? Why? Yeah. What? What? What possible reason could or? Or he's just overthinking it, Matt. And look, I don't know as much about soccer as Jurgen Klinsmann does, and I'm not going to. I'm not going to um, claim to. But I, I can see some of the more obvious things that he's doing and still question them. I, I, you know, one of the things that that came up yesterday was clearly the back line and the communication issues and sort of how they functioned um, with um, you know, with the midfield in front of them. Talk. Give me a, a sense about where the issues were there in terms of uh, again. The press was effective for a while, but where did it break down?
2: Well, they played in a high block press, and then rather than retreat sort of slowly or or incrementally and and press uh, or try to clamp down right at midfield, it went straight from high block to low block. Uh, And if you look at, you know, I'm going to use Bruce Arena's teams as a comparison, because First of all, because I, I still think he's the gold standard for U.S. coaches. Uh, second of all, because he's the gold standard for protecting a lead, which this U.S. team can't. Um, and what they do is apply selective diagonal pressure at the midfield stripe. right? So you'll have the forwards sort of shaping uh, the outlets of the the opposing team and trying to get them to go right down the alley, right? either one sideline or the other, because the sideline well, is always your best defender. And they bring, it, it was Sarvas last year, they would bring Sarvas bombing out to be that second man in and either hit a hopeful pass before uh, the, the attacking player really wanted to or actually have to turn around and cycle back again. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. doesn't do that. If you look at the second goal, Bradley comes out and applies that pressure. Everyone else stands still. Uh, now, I, I think that was of a piece with how the U.S. played yesterday because it was either all high press or all backline line bunker, uh, compress the two lines uh, and, and kind of scramble in your own area. Yeah, I, I don't think it's been that clear in, in the previous games um, that it's been a front to back uh, tactical kind of cluster F uh but it certainly was yesterday in the last 15 minutes. And then there are the fitness issues on top of it. And I, I think the, the whole fitness discussion a couple of weeks back was kind of a false flag in for, uh, program to, <laughs> to distract from real tactical issues. Uh-huh. But, like, Michael Orozco, who's been a pro for a decade, who's been in the national team pool for eight years, who plays for a club that plays their games at 7,000 feet elevation, Michael Orozco was waving himself off because he was exhausted by the 80th minute yesterday. Mm. So I, I mean, I don't know what's going on in training, Jason. I, I suspect it's like a Baton death march every day or something because yeah. the U.S. has always been a great fitness team. And there's a point, it, it's not, you know, I feel like if you practice, if you practice skill work every day, you're just going to keep getting better and better and better. With fitness, there's a point of diminishing return. Yes, You don't get better and better and better. Eventually, even the best athletes in the world get freaking tired. And and the U.S. has repeatedly been a tired team uh, down the end. And again, this is something that if it was only happening in friendlies, okay. But it happened in the damn World Cup. If you can't see what happened in your, your four World Cup games and be a little concerned and start to fix it, I I don't want to. I don't want to finish that. I don't want to finish that sentence. There's there's clearly something pretty wrong.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty easy for Klinsman to call out the players for their fitness issues, especially in a January camp where a lot of those guys have uh, been in their off seasons for weeks. um, When when clearly there's something else going on here, and I'm coming back. And I gotta let you go, Matt. But I come back to that. That quote from Philip Lahm when he sort of ripped Klinsmann for his time at Bayern Munich where he said, hey, all we did was fitness. We never did any, any skill work, any tactical work in, in training. And uh, I believe Klinsmann to be stubborn enough that he hasn't changed his ways.
2: I don't think he has from, from the stuff that I've heard from, from guys in camp and guys uh, around the team. And I mean, I think we all saw that Grant Wall report a couple of weeks back saying that there's real frustration in the camp, uh, I mean, Grant doesn't need me to confirm his reporting, but I, I can 100% confirm that I've heard that from, from several of the players and, and from people around them. Uh, so it's, it'll be interesting. Maybe Brian Strauss has got a, a, another article. Bruin that can, that can save Klinsman's job a second time, so yeah, we'll yeah.
1: see Matthew Doyle, the armchair analyst over at MLSsoccer.com, you're already following him on Twitter, I'm sure, and you should be reading his stuff, Matt, thank you for getting up early and, uh, and talking to us about that, that ugly game
2: Yeah, early to bed, early to rise Jason, yeah. you know the drill
1: Alright, let's take a break, when we come back we're going to shift to other American soccer news, MLS in Minnesota, Brian Korstad from the Northern Pitch will join us to talk about that big announcement yesterday. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. The best way to watch the greatest players in the world, including Messi, Ronaldo, Neymar, Laton, and Pogba, is on DishWorld's exclusive broadcast of BN Sports. DishWorld is the number one live international TV service in the U.S. It's a safe and legal streaming service that delivers your favorite sports and more to your TV, tablet, phone, and computer. For just $10 a month, you can watch La Liga, Serie A, and Copa America, as well as the New York Cosmos, Chelsea TV, Arsenal TV, and others with One World Sports and more top networks offered by Dish World. There's no commitment, no annual contract, and no satellite dish needed. Don't miss the best leagues in the world on Dish World. Sign up today at www.dishworld.com.
0: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis.
1: Big news out of Minnesota yesterday as MLS formally announced their intention to put an expansion team in the Twin Cities to talk about it. Our friend from up there in Minnesota, the North, I've been told, Brian Korsad, uh from northernpitch.com. I am Soccer News on Twitter. Brian, how are you?
3: I'm very good, and you're right. Uh, they, that is the new uh, kind of uh, Keyword that they're using is the North. We're no longer the Midwest. We're so <laughs> yeah. saying we're going to embrace it.
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, so I've been I've been told that on Twitter. Uh, obviously, Don Garber mentioned that yesterday at mm-hmm. the uh, press conference. Uh, Brian, um, the, the press conference itself, the the amount of fans that were obviously in attendance. I mean, we're talking about during a, the workday on a Wednesday. Clearly, this was a big deal for a lot of people. Uh, just give me the scene and, and, and give me how how much this felt like the. Uh, the fruition of a lot of work on the part of a lot of people.
3: Yeah, you said it exactly correct. Uh, uh, it, it has been a lot of work by a lot of people, you know, smaller profile, larger profile in so many ways, and it was a big event yesterday, uh, a very exciting day. For any of us, uh, like myself in particular, um, Bruce McGuire, I think of him as another one, you know, us guys, and, and even Mark Abbott, he was a ball boy as, as uh, Don Garber, Addressed. You know, he only lived in the Twin Cities from '72 to '86, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of people. This was a really big day for that. Saw the kicks, saw the kicks go away, and the strikers, the thunder come back, the thunder go through. You know, <laughs> many variations. We've talked about this before, and change into the stars, and then finally become uh, Minnesota United. And and it was a big time event with big time people there. Uh, held in a really cool way with hundreds of people there, including, you know, besides the Dark Clouds, but, uh, you know, soccer coaches, uh, high school coaches, mm-hmm. college coaches, um, just anybody involved with soccer and a lot of dignitaries. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was held in a, 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 fantastic, uh, way. And it was at Target Field, which is between the Stadium, which is a really beautiful, uh, baseball facility, like built 10 years ago, I believe now right very close, only about two blocks away, where Dr. McGuire would like to build this soccer-specific outdoor stadium.
1: I will come to that and, and what needs to happen in terms of the stadium in a second, but uh, you mentioned some of the dignitaries. Obviously, Rob Stone was the MC, and he pointed out Tony Sane, who was uh, there and is a Minnesota guy. Landon Donovan came up, obviously, for the for the event sitting next to Manny Lagos. and uh, I imagine um, somebody who wasn't there who would have loved to have been there, Taylor Twelman, who's got ties to the Twin Cities, uh, the right. the uh the people who spoke i mean uh rob stone you know he's a funny guy he set the stage don garber does this pretty well uh, but, yes, bill, but bill but yes. McGuire, bill maguire bill maguire's uh, speech and and i don't know that he was entirely comfortable i'm sure he's given many many addresses to many many people in in, in terms of his um uh, his his leadership uh in his career but he seemed honestly touched by all of this and he seemed honestly um, you know, emotional about this uh, about the situation, Brian. Uh, it,
3: it, he did, and and that's genuine. I I've gotten to know him a little bit. I can't say a lot, but a little bit. I've been able to sit down with a dinner with him at one point when he was kind of picking some brains with some people up here uh, about soccer in this area. And, you know, he, he's known a, a really well for asking a lot of questions, asking. You know, as we, uh, I was trained in the Deming method of management years ago, and it's like SME, subject matter experts, and that's how he looks at people that have been around the game for a long time that know a lot more about it than he does. So he wants to learn from them. He's uh, he's an observer. He's always watching. But he he truly, I had done a on uh, the a one-on-one interview with him the day before for a profile I'm working on, and he is genuinely touched by this. I mean, every time you hear him talk, he speaks of community. Almost always. He always is kind of, you know, he's been a big philanthropist up here, and and he's always looking for the good of the community and how things can tie people together. And he loves the city, and he loves the vibe that's, that's happening in Minneapolis. And and uh, so he was genuinely touched by being honored, as he said, with this major league selector franchise. And I think the responsibility that comes with that, as well as as he has told me the people that he's bringing on board he really likes his people as individuals not just because they're putting money in but because they look at this whole thing as a greater good you know bringing in first and second generation immigrants bringing in uh, uh, you know a marketing to a different demographic than all the other sports had pulled in before to the millennials to to all all these um inner core uh young people so He's excited about that. He's excited about the uh, investors that he has coming on, and not all the investors were announced yesterday. I know of at least one uh, that I've heard of that wasn't announced, and I believe he still may be bringing in a few more people.
1: Uh, you're not going to drop that nugget here. <laughs> I will not.
3: Not not today.
1: Well, okay. But, well, give me a sense. I mean, again, it was it was uh, Bill McGuire's show, and then um, give me a sense of the other people involved in and the, their ties to the community and what they bring to the table?
3: Uh, well, I mean, that, that was mainly what with with they paraded out there yesterday. But, again, what I said here earlier, I mean, there was a lot, of, uh, a lot of journalists there yesterday, and all the TV news channels were all represented, of course, a lot of college coaches, high school coaches. Uh, I was kind of touched to see that uh, it shows you how old I am, but a guy that I coached years ago is now a high school coach, varsity coach, he was there, and he took his team to the finals in Class A last year. So, I mean, you know, it's this generational thing and all these people. And, uh, it, you know, it, Buzz Lagos was there. Uh, what a great day for him uh, to share with his son. You know, he started so much of this after. I mean, he was actually a scout for the Minnesota Kicks. That's how he got his start. Um, up here before with Freddie Goodwin, the coach from, from Minnesota Kids. So, it's just this whole group of people and, you know, it's kind of like a who's who's of soccer. And then, you know, some dignitaries too. But there was also a few people missing, which you would have liked to see, which was like the governor of, of Minnesota or uh-huh. the mayor of Minneapolis. You would think that, uh, Betsy Hodges would be there and she was not there. Um, this probably revolves somewhat about around the financing and, and Mm -hmm. something we can get in more to if you want to. But the city of Minneapolis is on the hook for a lot of money for that big, uh, cathedral that the, (laughs) that the Vikings are building. And, uh, they want the team to play there. So does the state of Minnesota and, and major league soccer. I mean, by coming in yesterday, I think that was the big thing. They were making a definitive statement. This is the group that we want. And this is the stadium and how we want the stadium built in a great area. Uh, and I think that was a big portion of why they were there. Mm. Uh,
1: so we will talk about the stadium push because obviously Dr. McGuire mentioned the farmer's market area. I'm obviously uh, completely ignorant of, of uh, Minneapolis geography. So you'll fill me in on that, Brian, but there is, but as you said, the, the, twin, the, sorry, the, um, the Vikings are getting a new building. The Twins have a very new building. Uh, I know the University of Minnesota has their own building. I don't know how much public money went into that. This has been a, a rash of, of stadium building in Minneapolis. And then the question is, or Minneapolis-St. Paul, and the question is, does that have a negative impact? Does it really cause a problem for Minnesota United and, and this ownership group to get their building done?
3: Um, does it cause a problem? That's another question. Is has there been a rash of stadiums? Yes, including uh St. Paul just built in the lower town area, which is their a little more hip area, um, a baseball stadium for the St. Saint Paul Saints, which is like a seventh division team, but they are kind of a thing when the twins were playing in the Metrodome, they were the only outside team. So for years, they've been around for a long time. Um, they were playing in this kind of crappy stadium that it had the kind of quirkiness about it. A train would go by all the time when they were playing. and Now they're downtown, but they've got a lot of money on that stadium too. So there's a ton of stadiums. And yes, is there stadium fatigue? Absolutely. There is. But there's also this push that, um, a lot of, uh, uh Tom Bakke from the, uh, legislature, the DFL leader was, uh, I, I don't know any other way to put this, but kind of in bed with Vikings. I mean, he was, has really supported the Vikings all the way along and he's the one that's saying absolutely there won't be any uh, money going to uh, any kind of public stadium from the state. And yet, like today, we found out that he's making a push now to get tax breaks for the Super Bowl that the NFL is requesting. So on the one hand, he's saying, no, we can't do any of this. On the other hand, he's continuing to uh, extend these corporate tax breaks to the NFL and the Vikings. So, Mm. uh, you know, it's, in, originally when this these things came out in the newspaper, it seemed like the Star Tribune, our biggest newspaper, was very much kind of, you know, well, they're not going to get a thing, but now we're starting to see more positive uh, comments or, or articles, excuse me, from the Star Tribune and other publications too, looking at the positive aspects of the stadium and who it serves and that Minnesota United probably won't be asking for much money at all. And this is what we're hearing, that it would principally be a uh, privately financed stadium with some public money for um uh, uh, infrastructure right. around the area, because they have this great plan, and this is the area you had asked about, what we had called the North Loop, but now they've come up with, it was, it's actually the west end of the North Loop, which is, <laughs> um, just a little bit out of downtown Minneapolis. Okay. It's all these old warehouse buildings and that have been converted recently. It's the fastest growing area of downtown Minneapolis or Minneapolis period. Um, a lot of these old buildings being converted to, uh, lofts and condos and apartments and, you know, even grocery stores going in down there now and, and restaurants and bars and very, Hip Pool area, um, and uh, they're talking about building on the west end of this. So now they're calling it the West Loop. That's the new term. In fact, I actually get, I got a chance to talk to Jim and Bob Polad yesterday mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, they're owners of the Twins, and and we uh, also are investing in this. And they also own United Properties and put an option to purchase on the property that quarter is going to build this on. So even they were not aware of this new term East Loop or or West Loop, but it's a great area. It's right by a lot of major transit and, uh, they want to make improvements. Like Bill has told me personally, and then I heard him say it yesterday. I love the farm. And he likes to go down there and, and shop and, and, you know, it's, it's, uh, they have this kind of master plan with this group called, um, uh, 2020 partners and they have seen this whole growth for that particular area. So, um, you know that's that's kind of where we're at. Do we know much of anything after yesterday that we didn't know before? No, not really. Uh, we know where we already knew where the stadium is going to be built. Most likely, if they build the stadium, we knew that it's probably going to be privately financed, principally. Mm-hmm. But they'll probably be looking for some money. We don't know how much uh, for for infrastructure improvement.
1: Yeah, that's always the kicker here. I mean, even when the the money for the actual construction is going to be privately funded, there are, you can't get away with putting an edifice that large in a city and not need to move some roads and change some, you know, move some pipes and some power lines and all of those things. It's certainly what DC United had to go through to get their stadium deal done. So I guess I, what I'll ask here, Brian, is yesterday's announcement was, Hey, we've We've po- we've selected. We're in. We're partnering with uh, Dr. McGuire and his group in Minnesota United. We want to be here, but this isn't necessarily 100% signed, sealed, and delivered until those stadium deals, uh, the stadium details, come together.
3: That is exactly correct. And uh, Garber was even quoted as saying yesterday that while it's not 100% done, we still need to get the stadium deal done, and we're going to give them time to get that done. So, so for a little bit, they're back in a situation like New York and Miami. But I think the difference is here, they have land. They have land in a great area, uh, right by all kinds of parking lots and major transit light rail coming in and, and uh, a regular full train that goes out to the western uh, Northwest, uh, North Star commuter rail, um, buses, tons of buses that come into this transit center. And it'll actually be able to stop the stop the for these two light rail centers or light rail trains that are going to be extended to the southwest suburbs. So it's a great location. They have the land. And I talked to the collabs labs yesterday and they told me that even if the stadium didn't go in there, they wanted to do something with that money, with okay. that property. So they haven't actually signed the deal to purchase it yet. They just have an option on it that they want the property and they will be okay. purchasing it one way or the other. So, um, yeah, there's, there's still some things to be done and what's a little disturbing is the Vikings are still saying we still think we have a good facility and we are going to keep an eye on the situation. So I, I, you know, they've been, you know, it's, it's been reported now that they were actively lobbying against McGuire's group in the legislature to, uh, to, Make sure they don't get any kind of funding at all.
1: do you think that's, so, and, that that still goes on now, even though MLS has made the big show MLS even though MLS came to town and, and pitched and pitched the tent and held the circus the the the, the Vikings will still be pushing against this
3: um, they congratulated. Minnesota, in no, a quote, yeah, in the Star Tribune uh, this morning, they said they congratulated Minnesota, but they are continuing to monitor and watch the situation.
1: <laughs> Brian, before I let you go, I, I want to ask you about this move in the context of the NASL. Uh, you're, As you mentioned, the iterations of Minnesota soccer professionally, you've been, co- you've been following and covering them all, uh, from the Thunder to the Stars and now to Minnesota United. This seems to be a straight poaching of Minnesota United, provided the stadium gets done, and that this team with this image and with uh, what they've built there, and Blaine will move over over to Minneapolis, will become an MLS team. And 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 I thought it was interesting. We had a statement from NESL yesterday, when right before this uh, event took place. Then we had Don Garber on the day as saying things like, higher level, higher level, higher level, over and over again. We've entered a passive-aggressive war of words situation here, and I wonder where this leaves the NESL. As, as a guy who wants American soccer to succeed, what do you make of this for that league?
3: Right. You know, I covered that league for so long, especially in the early years, as you did as well. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think, well, I think one of the things that was in the NSL statement yesterday was, you know, which I think they kind of need to take this approach that we're creating teams that can step up, you know, if they want to, but we have teams that are happy where they're at. And honestly, um, i talked to individually to, Beckham McGlayer and to, uh, Nick Rogers, the president, and they were quite happy with the NESL in many, many ways. But I think for them, you know, if, if they were playing in a different city, if they were at, in Indianapolis maybe, or if they were in Jacksonville, where they didn't have any kind of competition, um, I think they might have stayed in the NASL. But in their situation here, with four major, uh, major league teams already, uh, division one college team and stadiums, and the threat that the Vikings were going to come in and, and do an MLS team in their stadium, uh, I don't think that they had any options. Uh, and, and so I don't think this is so much of them choosing any, uh, MLS over NESL. Of course, it's a higher league. People will come out. We're excited about it because you're going to have the star power, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, and, you know, I think there was a lot of things I liked about the NFL, and there's a lot of things that they liked about Major League Soccer as well.
1: Yeah, there's clearly, uh, you're, you're clearly skipping some steps when you join uh, MLS, which is 20 years old, has the star power, has the built-in, uh, element of of the television deals and the like although NASL right. over a longer timeline could be something I, I I just I think that it's pretty clear right now that that league's going to suffer Brian um, because of of the profile of MLS because the there are going to be fans who for whatever reason don't rate the NASL aren't aware of the NASL aren't paying attention and clearly you know obviously a location move is a big deal for for this team as well but you're going to have fans in that city who are like, "Oh, a soccer team, MLS, ESPN, Fox." Okay, now I'm interested.
3: That's true. I mean, you, you cannot deny that. That's the and I think they're even the team right now is taking advantage of that, doing a lot of advertising saying, "We're going to MLS. You know, come buy season tickets
1: now." Yeah. It'd be interesting to watch how this unfolds. We always uh, wish you best of luck on uh, on the team getting the stadium deal done. Uh, Brian Corstead, northernpitch.com. dot com. You have to read this website as you track all of this stuff happening up in Minnesota. And uh, and I am Soccer News on Twitter. Legacy guy, fantastic stuff. Brian, thank you so much.
3: Thank you, Jason.
1: All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, 347-756-6276. 6, 6, we'll take your tweets, your questions, USA, expansion, whatever else is on your mind. Uh, don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Back on Soccer Morning, we dive straight into the phones. 417, you are on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Who's this?
4: This is Al speaking again. Love your show, by the way. Appreciate it, Al. Oh, you're welcome. Two things, you know, um, first of all, congratulations to Minnesota getting the um, I would like to say promoting, getting promoted to a major league soccer, and I think it was deserved because I just think that the requirements for an expansion team, or if you want to get promoted to major league soccer, has to come from the grassroots up. You know, starting from the USL Pro with fans coming on out, and if the owner is able to get enough. um, sponsors and investors, you know, to to invest on a team and to me, I think the way how Minnesota was able to do that within five years, you know, I think that should be the requirement for um, a team to get promoted in Major League Soccer instead of just, you know, attending maybe one or two um, international friendly matches, games there, like 40000 you say, yeah demand and demand it
1: well i I, 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 i'm with you to a certain extent and we've certainly seen teams that have built from the grassroots level i mean grassroots is maybe the wrong word but they have built something there in the lower divisions orlando is riding a a wave that they started building a couple of years back when they made the move from austin but that don't act like that was a long time coming for orlando they 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 they, bring they that Happened very very fast for them we, we've seen teams come come quote unquote come up like portland like seattle like montreal like vancouver be successful i think that's a good base to have but i don't yeah. I, I do think that there are certainly there's certainly room in some some other cases to find reason to go outside of that paradigm now it, you do take a bigger risk but if you have somebody like arthur blank in atlanta who's got Money out, money on top of money on top of money, and he's you know he's going to make concessions to putting a team in the stadium. I don't like this, the whole football stadium thing at all. To, to just to say that, but I get why exactly. they I get why they signed up with him though, and he adds strength to the league. And the same thing goes for whether you like their background and who they are and where they come from or not. Uh, that's the It's the same thing with City Football Group and what they're doing in New York. Now, I I said that's a mistake if they can't get the stadium deal done in a couple years, and I stick to that. But I get why MLS yeah. signed up with them. You got anything else, Al?
4: Yes. Also, the U.S. friendly matches. I kind of think that Clemson is kind of using this kind of like an exhibition game, you know, with some, some of these friendly matches. I don't. I mean, it's, should we should we be concerned about the fact that U.S. lost three to two like that? Yes, but I wouldn't panic until if, you know, if we don't do well in the Gold
1: Cup, then he's in trouble. Oh, no, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, he's, he he His his situation, his, his job should be on the line with the Gold Cup, in my opinion. I don't think it will be. Yeah. I think he'll continue. I think he's going to take this team all the way to 2018 if he wants to stick around. It's up to him. Because I don't, yeah. think, I I think he's the one calling the shots now in terms of his employment. I think Sino, Sino Galati has bought all in. Al, I got to move on. Appreciate the call, man.
0: Thanks Thank you.
1: There you go. Four one nine. You're on the air.
0: Yes, I wanted to talk about um, the Clemsman, but I think that under the the thing that seems like no one's talking about is the lack of uh, progress with the youth teams. I know that was a big part of what he's talked about from the beginning, but there hasn't been any real growth or success with any of the youth teams in the last uh, several years of his tenure. And it doesn't seem like the progress that we're, we're expecting to see change in that area has actually happened. It seems to be the same old, same old. Um, and you guys mentioned about that earlier on the show.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that in, in terms of the winning games issue, I mean, that's what Matthew Doyle was focusing on a bit when he talked about the program under Jurgen Klinsmann. It's the lack of winning games. It's, it's, I, I think, and I know there's a disconnect here, and I know people will have a problem with this statement on some level, only because the teams aren't winning. But I think this is the current the current generation of U17 players, of U20 players, up to U23, are the most talented America's ever produced. Does that mean that they are effective as a team, and does that affect? Does that mean anything for the senior squad? Some somewhat, but but not not. It's not all. It's not everything. And clearly, you have players who are only now dipping their toes into professional waters, who need experience, who aren't ready to contribute to the senior team. This is what scares me about the Gettys LLM situation. This is why I think uh, the way that Klinsman handled Julian Green was wrong. I think he recognizes uh, now both of those players are dual internationals or have multiple options. Julian Green was certainly um, raised in soccer in Germany. But even then, I think Klinsman recognizes that the America's best talent relative to the rest of the world is at those those younger ages, U-20s, U-19s, on down. down. I think he wants to rush that generation, and I think it's a mistake, but he is also not taking advantage, and maybe he's distracted, he's not taking advantage of what he's got at the senior level and making them the most cohesive, most effective team he can because he's trying out a bunch of stuff and he's throwing a bunch of stuff up against the wall and he's rotating his player pool over and over and over and i understand it's a friendly and it's ultimately an exhibition and you can use it to find players that you're going to be relying on but at some point you have to play at least a couple of games to get yourself together ahead of those tournaments anything else
0: yeah i just uh i agree with everything you're saying it's just the you know, it's the same old Richie Williams is the, is the coach doesn't get, you know, have to of the PKs against Jamaica that qualify for the World Cup. I mean, the winning the games is a large part of it, but even just if you watch the qualifying and watch the matches, teams don't get better as longer as they spend time together. It seems as if they go the opposite way and they, they actually get worse. And, uh, as a team as a whole, I mean, individual talent, like you described, is absolutely true. I think it's as talented as it's been in a long, long time. But uh, if not ever, but you watch them and you say, you know, what kind of coaching are they receiving um and who's accountable for the performance yeah. on the field? And yeah. I think that's where I see a large uh lacking uh, leadership from Klinsman.
1: I think it's interesting. Thanks for the call. I think it's interesting to consider whether the United States has had a shift from from being a country that overachieved, say, from, you know, 1994 when. Uh, we hosted the world cup even before that obviously making the world cup in 90 was a big deal um but whether we shifted from a nation that overachieved for about 20 years to a nation that is that is underachieving uh, not oh, not so much so that you're that you're saying well they, they we should be winning things and we're not but certainly you could make the argument that there's enough talent in the pool to be more effective than this to play a better brand of soccer than this I'm not going to buy for a second that the way the United States played in those, those four matches in Brazil was entirely down to the, to the fact that we don't, just have enough, we don't have good enough players. I just don't know how to do it. Really? Michael Bradley in the middle. I mean, Look, there are a lot of extenuating circumstances and, and, and factors involved. I come back to the fitness thing and whether or not Clemson's running him into, into the ground before every match. There's a lot of stuff here. Ray in Milwaukee.
5: Hey uh well I was just uh you got a short list I know anytime the teams get in trouble uh, sports talk radio always talks about short lists
1: Short list in terms of replacements for Jurgen Klinsmann Yeah I'm not calling for him to be fired I'm not ready for that I do think that you can't necessarily – to sort of hang on to a guy because, oh, we don't really know who might replace him is the wrong way to go. Go find somebody to replace him. Hell, if Jurgen Klinsmann can't get it done in the World – in the Gold Cup, excuse me, give the job to Andy Herzog for a little while and see how that goes. I I don't know. Find an interim guy. I don't want this to be Mexico, but I also don't want this to be, well well, who else are we going to get? There's nobody better out there. Somebody will want the job. Somebody of, of of decent quality will want the job. Maybe by the time you come around to the end of the Gold Cup, Trevor's wet dream of Marcelo Bielsa is available again. Maybe something like that comes to, to, to comes to fruition. Ray. Yeah,
5: well, I agree. I, I don't want. To, I don't. I don't want to fire him now. But uh, um, I think when we talk about talent wise, you could say that the team overall uh, may be more talented than it's ever been before. At all different systems, but I would say that every national team goes hills and valleys. And I think we've been on a trajectory when it comes to individual talent.
0: Yeah.
5: Uh, we're, uh, we're, we're missing guys. I mean, if you look at it, you took a time machine and ex-players like, uh, Claudio Reyna, uh, Carlos Bolcanegra, um, Landon Donovan, Demarcus Beasley, those guys—if you those guys would be starting today—if you took a time machine, uh, at the peak of their level, and, I, and like I said, every every national team goes through hills and developmental, especially when it comes to individual talent. We don't got that individual talent of a Claudio Reyna or a Landon Donovan. It's
1: probably true on some level. I, again, I mean, I think overall across the board, it's a more talented American soccer. Uh, base but as you said maybe there's aren't those individuals and we are talking about a team that is ultimately 11 guys on the field at a time so if you don't have a couple of those game-changing type players or those those players who are lifting the entire level of the team from front to back but again you combine this Ray with questionable tactics you combine this with issues of message in the locker room you combine this with issues of overtraining and this is what you get and and again, it, 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 I don't know if the jury is out on Jurgen Klinsmann yet. That World Cup was an it was a fascinating World Cup in a lot of ways because while you could uh, you could rationally say that they didn't play all that well, they certainly conceded too much possession. It was a lot of defending, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, they got out of an incredibly difficult group, and that is that that has to be in its column. I, I just don't know that you can reduce it, and this is the argument I've seen. If you could just reduce it to, well, he got out of the group of death. What do you want? Why would you want to fire him? He got out of the group of death. Okay, well, yeah, but there's got to be another more uh, nuanced way to look at his tenure that involves more than just judging him on whether or not he got out of the quote unquote group of death.
5: Yeah, I would agree. Uh, uh, sometimes when it comes to great players, um, they're not uh, they're not the best coaches because it comes so naturally. To them, it's hard to coach people who need to be coached up. I agree uh, in general.
1: I agree. Thanks for the call, Ray. I appreciate it. If you got uh, thoughts on the U.S. men's national team right now after the loss to Denmark, and remember they're playing Sweden in five days, go ahead and give us a call three four seven. Sorry, Sweden, Switzerland three four seven seven five six six two seven six. I say, Swiss, I, I'm it definitely is Switzerland. So you've got Denmark, Switzerland. Then you got to think um, a, a little bit of a gap. Hold on, I got the schedule pulled up here because I was very interested to see what the united states has coming up on the uh, on the schedule because again at some point clinsman has to try to create a co- a consistent cohesive unit to go into the gold cup with he's got to have a no it can't just be i'm experimenting i'm going to throw ventura alvarado out there i'm going to throw this guy out there he's got to have a notion of who his best team is who his best roster is overall and and play at least a couple of ma- matches or hopefully a couple of matches, where that is the program. That's the idea. This is how we're going to play. This is who we've got. Not, oh, well, let's give that guy a shot. Let's give that guy a shot. The time for that stuff is coming rapidly to an end. So Switzerland on the 31st, as I said, in five days. Then you've got uh, a USA-Mexico game at in San Antonio on April 15th. Um, which I don't know that that's a game you can use to evaluate anything because of the nature of that match. We know it's a money maker more than anything else. Uh, coming down to this, Germany on June 10th. So you've got a big gap, obviously. No games in May. You come to June 10th. This is where you're getting ready for the Gold Cup. You play Germany in Germany in Cologne, and then you play, and then you open up your Gold Cup. Oh, I missed the Netherlands. I'm sorry. The Netherlands on June 5th in Amsterdam. Then Germany. On June 10th in Cologne, and then you go into the Gold Cup. And your first match is July 7th, so roughly a month later. So is, is, the United States gonna be ready for this? Oh, here we go. Here, I know what's coming here. Eddie in Brooklyn, what's going on? Hold on, what's coming? I don't know, I'm just messing with you. What's, what's up?
6: Right, what's up, man? Um, so first time in 386 days, Costa Rica plays at home tonight. Um, but I'm calling because I got a bone to pick. Not with you or Ryan Rosenblatt, but with Miguel Herrera.
1: You always have a bone to pick with somebody. Oh, <laughs> yeah,
6: always. I always got beef. For All that right, baby. so, so okay. your
1: beef with Miguel Herrera. What's up?
6: Uh, he had the audacity to say that Costa Rica aren't accepting the role as favorites for the Gold Cup because they don't want to. And um, I don't think he remembers how CONCACAF caters to the United States and Mexico, <laughs> and that's why we're not favorites for the tournament.
1: <laughs> okay, look. Uh, I I cannot deny that the, uh, that the United States and Mexico are favored by Concacaf, and, and there's lots of reasons for that. I'm not going to say they're good reasons. Clearly, Con- uh, Costa Rica is on the is on the rise. Clearly, they are the team that will scare you know Mexico and the United States the most, and and they should be favorites. I, I mean, I think if we are if you're looking at this from an unbiased perspective, you have to make Costa Rica favorites on paper. As you said, though we're talking about a, a tournament that's going to take place in the United States where both the US but even more so Mexico have a home field advantage in terms of the crowds um you know uh, beyond that Eddie I don't even want to get into speculation as to whether anything untoward happens on the field but I'm sure you have some thoughts on 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 that issue as well but I, I you got to feel good and and so you think you you think that they are right to say we're not favorites because of because of bias because of history
6: No, I I think we're not favorites because when I have to be at a quarterfinal in a a stadium when it's a doubleheader and I'm sitting with 50,000 Mexicans during Honduras-Costa Rica because they're waiting for their game against Guatemala, um, that's not necessarily home field advantage. I don't necessarily feel like I have an advantage there. So we don't have the opportunity to have um, 60,000 Costa Ricans screaming in a stadium. Because Concacaf doesn't cater to us to make sure that they're well, always playing in okay. Los Angeles uh, all right, or Houston all right, all right, all right, or all Chicago. All
1: right, all right, all right. Calm down for a second, Eddie. Where should that game take place then?
6: Look, it's a regional tournament. Why can't somebody else host it? Uh,
1: they should. You're absolutely right. But but then we talk about infrastructure. Then we talk about who can host it. Um, is Costa Rica ready to host it? I honestly don't know.
6: Uh, we've hosted the Uncaf, so I mean, okay, it's we've hosted tournaments before. Even if you want to do it just across Central America you know maybe like two countries so maybe a Costa Rica and okay. Panama uh, host uh, uh, it. Re- yeah, I mean I, it's a, it's a joke. They they can only play these games in the United States but even Canada gets to host the game against Costa Rica. The irony of it is that Canada's hosting the game against us and we can't host the tournament.
1: I I I I understand uh, your frustration. Obviously, CONCACAF works from a position of we want to make as much money as possible, and that's not just a greed thing, Eddie, and you know that. It's part. It's about funding programs, getting things going in these these small countries, these little islands that CONCACAF uh, has this membership. And look, as long as long as it's one, uh, one federation, one vote. They are going to cater to those little groups. so
6: I, I, and That's I mean, fine. And, and as long as they do that, Mexico and the United States have to always carry the burden of being the favorites because that's how this region works. Period. I don't care how we look. Yeah, on paper, 11 for 11 we are definitely the better team right now, more informed. I'm not going to deny that. But soccer is more than just on paper. You have to put the other factors into play. And the fact that CONCACAF always favors Mexico and the United States, and those factors is why we'll never be the favorites.
1: All right. Uh, Vincent uh, Toronto is agreeing with you. He says, I agree with Eddie 100%. So what? The stadiums aren't all 60,000 seaters. The Gold Cup needs to be rotated like every other confederation. I'm I don't. i, I- I'm not going to sit here and be the ugly American and says, no, nah, we got all the stadiums. We got the best venues. We got the infrastructure. We should have the tournament every time. It's clearly a problem. It's clearly something that CONCACAF needs to address. And considering everything else that Jeffrey Webb has taken on, the fact that this hasn't become um, a real issue, I think it's been mentioned, but the fact that this hasn't become a real issue uh, is probably a black mark against him. I think that's right.
6: Yeah, that's why I want every other Costa Rican, and every other Central American or Caribbean to join me on Twitter and keep blasting and contact on a daily basis just because we can't. because In all seriousness, this is a
1: joke. All right. I, I I got you, Eddie. I still think that your boys are going to do very, very well have a good shot at winning it all, but... uh, and I'm sure you think that as well. But, uh, of course, there are some some um, uh, some issues that they have to overcome that most teams don't. You got anything else, man?
6: No, that's pretty much it. All, All, right. All right.
1: You picked your bone. There you go. Yeah, Addie in Brooklyn. Appreciate the phone call. Last couple minutes of the show here on a Thursday, three, four, seven, seven, five, six, six, two, seven, six. You want to jump in on the United States, on CONCACAF and rotating the Gold Cup, anything like that. Again, I think there's a couple of things with the Gold Cup. One – Rotate hosting. I think that's only right, only fair. Two, let's go. Let's go to every four years. Now, what are the? What's the reason again that this is a tournament that happens every two years? I know there's one out there. Is It's a, is it just about money? I mean, look, we we know we know why. Nobody's nobody. I don't think anybody is even claiming that the United States doesn't host this host this tournament because that brings in the most money for Concacaf. Clearly, that's the reason why. But I, you know what? It would actually strengthen the argument for Concacaf to get another World Cup place if we could find some way to give the stage to some other countries to have them be able to perform in front of home crowds and get the uh, get, get the the boost that that comes with that. I mean, obviously, I don't think Honduras is prepared to host a, a Gold Cup all by itself. Maybe Costa Rica is not prepared to host a Gold Cup all by itself. Mexico obviously could in a split second. So if that's the case, uh, should CONCACAF be working harder to find a way to move this tournament? And if that's in the works, I need to know about it. We need to know about it. That's that's something we need to, to be aware of. And CONCACAF needs to figure out how to be more equitable about this. And you got what? One Gold Cup game or one, one venue, one hosting uh, site in Canada for this tournament. Toronto's got some games, right? Or at least one game. I'm not sure what the entire schedule looks like. But I know Canada is on the list. So it's the United States and Canada? Well, not really. United States and Toronto. So maybe take it down. Host some games in Mexico, but give a couple few to those other Central American countries. If there is an issue with working with multiple countries, I'm sure there would be. And I'm sure I'm not aware of all of the red tape that needs to be fixed in order to make those things happen. But work harder to figure out a way to do that. All right, uh, and Oscar is pointing out that it's every two years because it's the only way for smaller CONCACAF nations to get quality games on a regular basis, they have regional. I know the regional tournaments, UNCAF and and, uh, and and the Caribbean Championship feed into the Gold Cup, and that's you hold those matches so you can get qualified for the Gold Cup. This is why Honduras is playing French Guiana. 0 one zero. You're on the air.
7: Uh, hey Jason, it's Pete from LA. What's going on, Pete? Hey. Uh, about the Gold Cup, you're mentioning about how it's every two years. I gotta say, I'm pretty annoyed with it just because I've kind of blocked out that month from paying attention to MLS. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's like so much of what goes on. I mean, I'm a Galaxy fan, and you know, you pull out the the national team players from the Galaxy, you pull them out from the other teams. You're just dealing with games that just aren't as compelling, mm-hmm. and I kind of wish. We didn't have a Gold Cup to deal with um, during the MLS
1: season. Yeah, I don't think there's any way around this. I mean, they're just not. You you hold your international tournaments in the summer. That's a that's an issue of the usual calendar, sure, but it's also about weather. It's about making it the most uh, the most attractive tournament possible. So if you're going, you you have to have the Gold Cup in the summer. But then MLS is playing through the summer, and clearly MLS can't take a full break around the Gold Cup. Then the, the 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 season is going to go into uh, the end of December, or you're going to have to start the season in February, early February. I, I don't know if that those things are possible. I think it's difficult. I mean, we complain about the MLS schedule all the time. Number one, I don't advocate for a season shift. Trevor does, by the way. It's on. He's on the record. He, he wants he wants those championship games in June instead of December, and I kind of get that. But I, I, so I don't advocate for that. But I do think that there is. It is it is incredibly frustrating. Again, when MLS has to play through international breaks, and when the Gold Cup comes to town, you do you have those those dual focuses, and you have a lot of players who are gone from their from the club teams because they're playing in Concacaf. And as MLS grows, the number of Concacaf players, top level Concacaf players, is only going to get back, bigger and 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 more impactful on the MLS game. So I, I'm with you.
7: Yeah, I mean, I, one one last thing is just, I think the way MLS structures things makes it a worse impact because if they were able to kind of have a strong all-around roster, you'd have more guys who were good, but un- just underneath the level of the national teams. Um, instead, you have this approach where you've got three or four guys who are like really strong. Those are bound to be the guys who are on these national teams and get pulled out.
1: Yeah. Appreciate the phone call, Pete. Thanks a lot, man. Cool. Take care. All right, there you go. All right, it's time to wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning on a Thursday. Thank you very much to our guests today, Matt Doyle, the armchair analyst over at MLSsoccer.com, and uh, Brian Korsstad from up in the north, Minnesota, where they're expecting to have a new team. I'm holding up the mug. And I haven't even mentioned it yet. Backyield.com slash store to buy a Soccer Morning mug. Thank you for doing that, everybody who already has. 3 FC.com to buy a Soccer Morning t-shirt. If you noticed, if you follow me on Instagram, and like maybe ten ten of you do, um, it's the same as my Twitter handle DavisJSN. I tweeted a picture of the scarves today. I got a new scarf, and I like to do this. I want to highlight the new scarves. This one right here, and I I want to. I'm not positive who who got it. I think Auntie said on Twitter that he sent money to them, and they sent the scarf to me because he put my address in. Anyway, it's uh, Ann Arbor, AFC Ann Arbor. So I'm not sure what they do and, and who they are, but it sounds pretty cool. It's a pretty cool scarf. If you have any interest in, in sending me a scarf to put on the wall, hit me up on Twitter, at DavisJSN, and I'll let you know how to do that. All right. Anything else to, uh, to review? Are we all just amply like, are we done? Are we rabbled it all out? Are we, are we like, our are, are souls are, are at peace now? I guess Switzerland next week. I don't know. MLS this weekend. Lots of things to talk about. Soccer Morning, brought to you by World Soccer Talk. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye.